0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: It you know, Dawn's on me as they introduce the program. Thank you, sir, as they introduce the program that way. Uh, the longest-running as we are approaching November the 6th, which will begin our 30th year moving into our 30th year i'm thinking that's just a polite yeah just a polite way of seeing an old guy that's really what that is <laughs> hey welcome to the show great to have you on board it is indeed tuesday it is the uh, 31st i'm sorry it's wednesday lost a day here 31st of october as you're heading home tonight the little uh kitties are out there trick-or-treating and all that good stuff drive with caution would you be careful as you as you make your way home. A lot of the kids will be out early as we uh, start reaching into uh, the later part of the year here. And uh, before you know it, of course, uh, we're going to do time change uh, this weekend, isn't it? Yeah, it's this weekend. Boy, I hope what fun that's going to be. One of the items, in fact, that will be on the ballot in exactly um, six days will be the question of whether or not we should change California's participation nationally uh, in daylight savings time. So far, there are two states that have opted out. You really can't do it quite easily. And there's also a few constitutional questions about that. We'll talk about that later. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, we're We're here at T minus six days and counting to D-Day or Decision Day 2018. This is perhaps one of the more critical, pivotal midterm election certainly in my recollection, and I've been following such matters for 35-something years now, and I think that um, we all need to be reminded of the critical importance of participation in this process. Now, to drill down into the whys and wherefores, take a look at a number of the propositions that you will be asked to decide on, to um, speak your voice on. Coming up next Tuesday, November the 6th, we have invited once again the Dean of the School of Public Policy of Pepperdine University, Dean Pete Peterson, to join us. And Pete, great to have you back on the program. And it's great to be with you. Hey, before we drill down into uh, some of these hotbed issues that voters will be facing next Tuesday, let's begin with the more fundamental question, and I think this is uniquely in your wheelhouse because you talk about and deal with public policy issues um, at Pepperdine University amongst the students all the time, and that is for many people that are pondering whether or not they should even bother to vote, and and, and that's driven perhaps because the amount of rancor and, and divisiveness and certainly mistrust surrounding politics these days. Some people may be wondering why even bother, and more importantly, If you're a christian or a conservative in california and specifically in northern california some might folks might even wonder well does my vote even count what do you say to people that are struggling with this question
2: well it is a great question and it's one that uh political scientists have wrestled with over the decades what what causes people to vote why why are the reasons why people stay home uh, there is a phrase that uh, could only come out of academics called rational ignorance, which is a phrase that describes the very logical stance that many um, legal voters take when they say, what, is, what can my one vote count? And uh, I think this year, as you've just outlined, uh, there are a number of uh, races, not only in elected office, but also several of these California propositions, that can have a real impact on our daily lives. And so making sure whether it's on issues relating to uh, property taxes and Prop 5, whether it's the gas tax in Prop 6, whether it's rent control in Prop 10, even if we were to just focus on the ballot initiatives, and not even think about these congressional races and and state assembly and senate races. There's enough there to really uh, be important for every single Californian.
1: And it really, when I guess it, it, it sort of boils down to brass taxes, as the old uh, the old saying goes. When you when you boil everything down, it really comes down to a matter of the fact that we should go out and vote for two reasons. Number one, because we get to. As, as citizens of this country. And number two, because it affects you, that these decisions, whether it be tax-related matters on the ballot propositions all the way up to the people that will be sent to Washington, D.C. to represent us, to pass the laws under which we must live, at every turn, at every angle, whether it be propositions or the local uh, member of the school board on up to... in this particular election, the governor of California, and whether or not the House will remain in Republican control or will swing to Democrat control, all of these issues matter and impact every one of us directly, don't they?
2: You're absolutely right, Craig. And you actually just put your finger on something that's uh, another lens to this, if you will, which are these local races, which are often decided by dozens, if uh, not hundreds of votes and for issues that relate to education, school board, city council races, uh, having a sense of who the best people are to put in these positions, those that support our perspective on the role of government, uh, especially as it relates to how we educate our kids and and the role of government in supporting businesses at the local level. Uh, these are races very much, uh, you see it every single election cycle where there there will be races uh, at the local level that are determined by only a few votes with serious uh, implications for all of us as citizens.
1: And I always find it fascinating when I I talk to associates or or folks out there in the radio audiences, they say, who will either either complain, they will grow grouse about Nancy Pelosi, or if you're on the other side of the continuum, you will shake your fist toward, toward Kentucky and Mitch McConnell. And then when you query, well, uh, how did you vote last time? You'll find out they haven't been in a ballot box or a voting booth in years. That's
2: absolutely right. I mean, and I see the same thing, Rick. I have People in my neighborhood down here in the Los Angeles area that uh, are very quick to complain, but very slow to actually vote. And I have to say, too, as people of faith, that I, I really do think that this is part of our responsibility as citizens in such a great country. Of course, it's got, there are major problems here in California, but several of them are on the ballot. And if we don't engage in them, uh these things can only get worse and so it really does behoove us to be uh informed and engaged
1: I'm going to recommend to listeners, now would be a good time if you have an opportunity to uh, uh, grab out a pen and paper and take some notes. If not, you're driving perhaps. Let me mention, by the way, that this conversation will be available uh, posted later on this afternoon at the KFAX website for the KFAX Lifeline podcast, so that'll be a handy reference for you to go back um, and and study and take notes on, because as uh, Pete Peterson mentions, that uh, a lot of the problems that we're facing are on the ballot, and that that is not just the propositions either. That yep. also has to do with many of the candidates. And I've made references to the, the pivotal election here in terms of the potential impact on the House. And before we drill down, I just want to have you say a word about that, Pete, because uh, these are certainly unprecedented times for many of us politically. And I think people are beginning to, to realize that it's not just the names on the ballot. It's not just numbers in terms of propositions, but it's things like the future of health care, immigration yep. reform, the Supreme court, taxes, so many of these things that that hit very close to home for all of us. And at the end of the day, then, it's not just names and numbers. It really comes down to values and 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 the kind of environment in which you want to raise your children, doesn't it?
2: You're absolutely right, Craig. And you, you think about these off-year elections, and uh, they're called off-year as a way of saying that they're not a presidential year election. And we see Every single off-year election, there's usually a pretty significant drop-off in turnout between the presidential run and this off-year. But really, the issues that you cared about that drove you to vote for the president, whether one way or the other, are still very much impacted by whether you vote now. Uh, Because just as you said, uh, whether the Congress goes Democrat or stays Republican— is really going to determine whether the person that you supported back in 2016 is going to be able to continue forward in an array of different issues, whether they be fiscal, whether they be judicial, or whether they be from a foreign policy perspective. So it's very true, and the, certainly the research shows that if, uh, if President Trump were able to somehow get the same number of California votes in this off-year election, 2018, that he got in 2016, not only would Republicans retain several of these House races that are really in a toss-up category, but in so doing, the uh, Republicans would continue to hold the House. And so, um, really, it's, it's so important that if you cared about uh, voting in 2016, that you continue to do so in 2018.
1: And I think we need to be mindful, too, you know, maybe perhaps uh, rethinking some of the historic nomenclature, you know, uh, as you adequately and accurately point out. Pete, typically the non-presidential voting years have been considered to be off years, and people hear that say, well, that means I can take this year off. I don't need to vote. But when you think about this, that fully a third of the United States Senate is up for grabs next Tuesday, and the House of Representatives, well, uh, all 435 House seats there are up for grabs, given the fact that they are voted upon every two years, then the reality is there is no off year, because every year, every vote, really decides your future, our future, the direction of this nation. And so if you're upset, you're not pleased with the way things are, then you need to have your voice heard. Conversely so, if you've been pleased with the direction that you've seen things heading in and the changes that you've seen, and you'd like to put your stamp of endorsement on that to make sure that it continues, then being involved politically by voting is critically important, too. And uh, before we spin into a quick timeout here, and then I'm going to come back after the break with uh, Pete Peterson and talk specifically about many of these important ballot measures, uh, let me just remind you of the words of Abraham Lincoln, uh, penned there on the train on the way to Gettysburg to deliver the famous Gettysburg Address, and he talked in that speech about government of, by, and for the people. In that regard, ours is, is very unique in many respects. We don't sit underneath the monarchy. There's not a king. There's not a house of lords here. We, in fact, elect our own representatives in this Republican form of government. And then, in doing so, in this Republic form of government, and then in doing so, they go to Washington, D.C., or to the state house or to the city hall, and they make decisions based on their representation of you, your will, your wishes, what's best for the city, the community, the state, the country. So you really can't escape responsibility here, because it is, in every sense of the word, government of, by, and for the people, but only if the people are actively involved. We take a timeout. When we come back, our conversation continues. A look at many of the key ballot propositions for you to consider. We are T minus six days in counting to this decision 2018. And we are pleased to have joined us today, the Dean of the School of Public Policy, Pete Peterson from Pepperdine University. We take this brief timeout back with more right after this update on traffic. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center where Michael Bennett's got the latest for you here at 517. Michael, what's going on?
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know,
1: when you talk about public policy, nothing moves, shapes public policy more than what we're about to do collectively in six days. And that is the midterm elections next Tuesday, November the 6th. It is too late to register if you have not already. Beep, beep. Sorry, you missed out. But if you are a registered voter, I want to take this opportunity to urge you to please get out the vote. You can either show up at a poll um, on Tuesday, November the 6th, or there are early voting centers all throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. And if you just log into uh, your um, county seat, if you're in Alameda County, go to alamedacounty.gov and uh, locate where those centers are. You can show up and vote early. Most of them are open from 9 o'clock in the morning until 5 in the afternoon, and many are open right through Saturday. So your opportunity to vote uh, got easier by simply going to an early voting center. If you vote by mail, then certainly make sure that you get your uh, ballot completed and dropped in the mail as quickly as possible. All right, we're going to break down a number of the um, the key components here, the key propositions for you that uh, Californians will be deciding on next Tuesday. And as we continue our conversation here, our visit with the Dean of the School of Public Policy from Pepperdine University. Our privilege to have Pete Peterson with us. And uh, Pete, as we dive in, I guess first I want to remind uh, listeners as we do so that a lot of this content is provided solely for educational purposes. This is not necessarily an endorsement for or against any of the candidates, but let's uh, let's educate a bit here. Walk us through, if you would, uh, some of these key propositions and give us some insight on H.
2: Yeah, so I, I think the ones where a lot of money is being spent and a lot of uh, attention is being paid, the ones that can have some of the biggest impact to uh, most of your listeners are uh, Propositions 5, 6, and 10. Uh, Prop 5 is the uh, measure around Uh, Prop 13 and the prospects of uh, selling one's house. This would really target those who are older who have been in their residence for, say, 15 or more years. As we all know, with Prop 13, uh, for those that have been in their home for a long time when they move out, uh, they suffer what's called a property tax penalty uh, because wherever they move, certainly if they decide to stay within the confines of california if they move even to a cheaper residence because they're going in at market rate to buy that new condo or usually a a smaller home uh, they're actually paying more in property tax than where they had lived Uh, this prop five would seek to uh, lessen that property tax penalty And it's really meant as a way to encourage those who have been in their homes for a long time that might be looking, who might be looking to downsize, uh, to escape. Uh,
1: that property tax penalty. And that's really a fear, isn't it? Because an older Californian that would say, gee, we've been in our house now for 25 or 30 years. The house is too big. We like to sell downsize. But downsizing today might mean moving from a house that you purchased 30 years ago for you know $15,000. Today, it's worth over a million dollars. You don't need a house that big. But to go from the current property tax rating under Proposition 13 to fair market value of a new piece of property, even be it perhaps just a condominium, could indeed put a lot of older folks behind the eight ball and say, gee, effectively, my property taxes have increased 100%. That means now that the home I thought I could afford in my golden years, I can no longer afford. That's
2: absolutely right, Craig. I mean, I think about my own in-laws, my wife's parents who live down in Orange County. They've been in their home for uh... forty five years now and i know when the subject comes up about maybe moving to a smaller place uh... this question around the property tax penalty is always front and center and, uh, and so uh, the, the uh, this particular measure would, again, lessen the impact of that property tax penalty. So
1: then uh, the insight would be on Proposition 5, a yes vote. The other one that you mentioned that really has some potential financial impact on all of us here in California is Proposition 6. Give us some insights into what exactly this is all about.
2: Yeah, so property Uh, Prop 6 is really meant to be very simple, but unfortunately, our attorney general who writes the what they call the title and summary, essentially the title of what you'll see in the voting booth, and the summary, which is a paragraph that is meant to describe the measure, uh, that title and summary was written in a way that I think confuses a lot of voters. Uh, Very simply, what Prop 6 does, an affirmative vote, a yes vote on Prop 6 overturns the gas tax that was passed by the state legislature earlier this year, which um, because of the different computations involved, averages somewhere around 15 to uh, 20 cents per gallon. Uh, this is not an insignificant upcharge, but uh, the way that it's framed in the ballot measure, it is, uh, it seems as if by voting uh, yes, you are taking away a lot of uh, money and funding that would go into roads and infrastructure. And so the way that it's polling right now is that, uh, it's actually the no vote is polling ahead of the yes vote. And I think unfortunately a lot of that is due to the confusion, uh, that was, uh, that was wrought by our attorney general. But very simply, a yes vote on Prop 6 overturns the gas tax a no vote would keep it in place.
1: And be mindful, too, that not only does it overturn the gas tax, but they also very conveniently snuck in a pretty significant increase in your DMV, your annual license registration fee. So it would impact that as well. And and, and,
2: and, and just a note, another element of that, too, it also adds that any future gas tax could not be passed by the legislature but would have to come before the voters just like this one.
1: And I think we need to be mindful, too, and then we'll move on to the next one that for for voters that are on fixed incomes families that are struggling they are largely the ones that pay the penalties oftentimes they're the ones that can't afford to live where they work and so they commute some distance they're paying huge amounts of money somebody that's driving a Tesla probably doesn't care much about this proposition. But for everyone else, be mindful of the potential fiscal impact on all of our wallets. So on, um, again, proposition number six, the recommendation there would be, let me be clear, a yes vote to repeal the tax. The other big dollar vote here that, my goodness, I think, if any proposition has had more money thrown at it, I don't know which one. But proposition eight has not only been Mm -hmm. hotly contested, Pete, but there seems to be so much misinformation Information out there about exactly what this purports to do or not do. Break it down for us, please.
2: Yeah, well, I, I first have to just describe it in its political terms where the two sides are. Essentially, um, Prop 8 has been developed by a particular uh, service union, the SEIU, which has particular interest in unionizing some of these dialysis facilities. Uh, they are essentially attacking the two largest private uh, providers of dialysis. One of the companies is called Davida, which is one of the major funders on the no side of this. Uh, I think what's so unfortunate about this measure, which you're absolutely right, I think we're up over $200 million spent just on this measure, pro and con. Uh, I think what's so unfortunate about it is this is being portrayed as a as a issue around health care and really what it is is an attempt by one particular union to unionize some of these facilities uh really at the expense of um clear delineation over how uh, these companies are operating
1: and it's always troubling when we we start to meddle with putting caps on what companies can make. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, I think we'd all agree to a person that healthcare is very expensive in America. That said, the investment that goes into time and people and technology uh, is enormous for these companies and to suggest somehow going in that we're going to put strict caps and price controls, essentially, uh, while it might seem to be a good altruistic thing to do, at the end of the day, can can greatly discourage investment and, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, can be a great motivator for some of these firms to decide whether or not to even stay in business.
2: That's absolutely right, Craig. And, and certainly when you see so many of these advertisements on the S side, they're saying that these private firms are making too much money and they will force these private companies to somehow uh, devote some of their profits to other things, it it remains unexplained how they could actually do that. Uh, But again, really where the... Uh, where the brass tax is, to go back to your phrase on um, this, is that it's really a move by a particular union to try to unionize these private facilities. And,
1: and the scare tactics, I think, are, are particularly troubling on this. One of the TV ads running up here in Northern California is about, well, if, we, if, if there is a vote on this, that means that these poor people are going to have to go to the emergency room to get dialysis, as if yeah. anybody would go to an emergency room. For dialysis, I mean, it it just shows you the scare tactics that are in being engaged in Proposition Eight, and and certainly uh, equally with Proposition Six. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. Oh, but wait, we're not done yet. We're going to talk about some of the statewide elections, and we're going to talk about another critical proposition. I know we're all frustrated with the house to, uh, the cost of housing in California, but Proposition Ten. Is it really going to make things better or far worse? We'll get some insights. Our conversation with the Dean of Public Policy from Pepperdine University right here in California, located down in Malibu. Great place to check them out sometime if you're down there visiting, want to get more information. Maybe you're interested in public policy yourself. You've always been driven by politics, and you like to be more than just a, a watcher. You'd like to be a doer. You'd like to help initiate and shape public policy. And then check out Pepperdine. You can find out more on the web at pepperdine.edu. All right, let's find out more From the KFAX Traffic Center, Michael Bennett's got a look at your Wednesday ride wherever. And Michael, how are we doing out there? Any better this afternoon? This morning was a mess. How about now?
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: The elections are afoot. Of course, they are just six days away next Tuesday. November the 6th. And we're encouraging, of course, to uh, wherever your persuasion might be politically to make sure that you uh, participate in this form of self-governance by actively voting. And of course, there are early voting centers and key locations uh, throughout the Bay Area. You can go to your individual county's uh, website, go to the county clerk's uh, location there for your county and do a search for early voting polling place, or early voting, and you'll find out where you can drop in and vote if you decide uh, that voting next Tuesday on the day of is uh, perhaps not convenient to you. We're working through a number of the key uh, questions that we'll all be facing coming next Tuesday. With us is the Dean of School of Public Policy from Pepperdine University, Pete Peterson. Pete, there was a, a campaign, you probably remember this one, a gentleman back in New York City several years ago ran on a campaign whose moniker was Lawrence Too Darn High, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I think here in California, there is nobody that would disagree with that. But as we move on to Proposition 10, um, which is certainly at least at at the the periphery, seems to be an attempt to address this issue, I have to wonder from your perspective, does it really fix it or ultimately make it more broken?
2: I think, unfortunately, the research shows that it does make it more broken. Uh, And in fact, for your listeners, some of the most recent and i would argue most comprehensive research on rent control and the impacts of rent control was recently released by a couple researchers out of stanford looking at san francisco's rent control policies over the last ten years and essentially what they found was that rent control actually reduces the amount of available rental housing thereby driving up the rents for new renters and uh, if the goal, the stated goal, and I think it's, I think it's a legitimate goal, we need to reduce uh, rents in uh, on rental properties. We need to increase the supply of them. Uh, the way that we go about reducing rents is by increasing supply, not by these kinds of price controls.
1: Well, and, you know, the interesting thing about this is if you looked at any other topic, we could say, you know, energy, food, uh, the, the cost to go to a restaurant – Uh, You know, given today's economy, we could probably say, comparatively speaking, and certainly California compared to any other part of the union, is way too high. And and yet if we start engaging on controls, doesn't that essentially start saying to people, this is a bad place to invest. Don't do business here. I mean, I hear all the time uh, when I'm around groups of people that discuss real estate and whether or not they should invest in in, um, real estate property, inevitably – you'll hear somebody say, don't do it in Berkeley, don't do it in San Francisco, because you can't make any money there.
2: Yeah, and we see that same down here in Los Angeles. I happen to live in uh, Santa Monica, which is another city that has rent control, and the impacts of it on reducing the amount of building and construction is significant, and also just what happens in these rental units and the lack of investment that tends to go into them. Uh, so, I, you know, again, I think the supporters of Prop 10 have a very legitimate concern. They think they're going to solve it this way. But when you take a step back and look at the economics of it and the research that's out there, uh, these kinds of price control measures uh, actually have the opposite effect.
1: And and you can almost guarantee, were this to pass, that'd be a big legal battle for some time to come. So at the end of the day, the recommendation on Proposition 10 is a no vote. Before our time winds up today, Pete, let's pivot to uh, some of the the statewide offices. Probably one of many, certainly, but one that's gaining the most attention is the gubernatorial race between um, our current lieutenant governor, former San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom, and John Cox, who many said early on, "Well, gee, you know, the chances of a Republican gaining traction in California? Nah, probably the last time that'll ever happen was uh, was either Ronald Reagan or Arnold." Schwarzenegger. But much to everyone's surprise, John Cox pulled ahead amazingly well, managed to pull out a win in the primary, and some are saying they're going to give Lieutenant Governor Newsom a run for his money. How pivotal is this particular race when it comes to the future of California?
2: Well, I think it's extremely pivotal. Uh, what What we've seen over these last eight years is not only increasing spending, Uh, but really also a set of policies that have made it very difficult for small business owners to continue practicing here. You went just, we just discussed the housing issue. Uh, this is not a market driven problem. This is a man made problem that we have around why it's so expensive to live here in California. And, uh, if there isn't a change at the top and in some of these other statewide offices and on measures like Prop 10, then essentially we're going to look to a continuation and a deepening of these problems around a difficult business climate, uh, difficult uh, place to live and work, these costs associated with energy and housing. Uh, there's really no end in sight there. So again, back to the beginning of our conversation, so important to be engaged in these races. And that governor's race really is uh, uh, as as the great Ronald Reagan would say, a time for choosing.
1: Well, and the other thing too is the the governor's seat can help in a sense put the foot his foot on the brake of what the legislature does. Even in this current uh, uh, legislative session, we've seen Governor Jerry Brown, and, and much to the delight and surprise of many of us, uh, veto a number of very very dangerous. Measures either dangerous to to the, the well being of children in the family or dangerous to the the economic future of our state, and crazy things get done by the California state legislature, which is dominated, of course, by one party. And so the the governor, even though of the same party, has often served not as often as I'd like, but often served yeah. to put his foot on the brake. And so bringing some balance by having someone like John Cox in there uh, can help again uh, sort of stop the car from running off the the, the, the you you know, off the freeway with no brakes. Let's talk about the House races. My goodness. Um, All 435 seats are up. There are 23 pivotal seats around the country that it would take to flip control from the Republican side to the Democrat side. Probably easily, I guess, Pete, here in California some seats are, are are guaranteed to be safe i think for example the 12th congressional district in san francisco nancy pelosi who yeah. was first elected to office in 1887 i, I mean i'm sorry <laughs> 1987 she's probably safe but there are a few seats that democrats in specific are are looking to try and flip yeah. and i and i'm thinking specifically of some down your way orange county the 45th district the 48th yeah. Dana Rohrbacher's seat, uh, a little okay. bit closer here to the Bay Area in the Central Valley, the tenth district, uh, these are going to be c- critical, aren't they?
2: You're absolutely right there are uh, there are five races down here in the Orange County down to North San Diego County that are pivotal. Uh, they are regarded as toss toss ups by real Clear politics, which I think is a great website for tracking uh, the polling on these races nationwide. Uh, unfortunately, all these toss-ups are held currently by Republicans or by retiring Republicans. That denim race up in your area is important. The ami um andrew Grant race, which is the CA-7, uh, Congressional District 7 up there, just east of Sacramento with Folsom, that actually is, a, is an opportunity for Republicans to flip that um but you're right most of these toss up races are unfortunately ones in which republicans currently hold and and really is going to take uh republican turnout there to to hold those seats
1: it's not a time uh, in, in, in places like um, San Joaquin Valley, uh, where uh, Devin Nunez is, uh, or, as we mentioned, uh, Dana Robacher's seat down in Southern California. Uh, Mimi Walters is another one in the 45th District. Uh, you know, Obviously, I'm talking about areas out of the Bay Area. I think in the Bay Area, we've got 11 seats, and all 11 are held by Democrats. But some of these that are kind of at the periphery of the Bay Area, yes. critically well, important.
2: seat in the 10th District is definitely one of those Oh,
1: absolutely. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it probably doesn't take a lot to talk about Diane Feinstein as we wrap up, but to say that she's sort of in the, the race, the fight uh, for her political life. Uh, Kevin de Leon, who is um, number one, I think, attractive to a lot of California voters because of his ethnic background as a Latino and Asian. and, and the fact that there's an age difference here, and I, and I, I remember that, that quip between Ronald Reagan and Mondale. He wasn't going to let his, his opponent's age uh, be a factor in the race, but uh, you know, the reality is Diane Feinstein. If if she's reelected will be 91 years old when she finishes her term.
2: That's right. It, and really, that, that race is a window into the future and even the present of the Democratic Party, uh, which I think is a, a tension between what you would call the New Deal Democrats, uh... and what i would call the bernie sanders democrats and I i think that there has been for years especially here in california more of a moderate democratic wing but frankly and some of this is age-related some of this is just around uh... some of the issues in the environment and social issues and so on that a much more radical part of the democratic party is beginning to take over Uh, That party, and I think you see it in this particular race.
1: Well, we certainly saw it uh, even in the race uh, two years ago, and uh, you know, once again, on to underscore the fact that. As you're watching these events unfold, as you're watching the ideological shift uh, that is uh, taking place before our very eyes, be mindful of the fact that if you want to do something to stem the tide, it's going to to take you and getting out your vote and encouraging your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones and family members to get out and vote. Again, I urge you, if you can't make it for some reason, you're going to be busy, you're going to be out of town on Tuesday the 6th. Early voting polling spots are open all throughout the Bay Area, typically during regular business hours hours in through saturday as well and so you can check that out go to uh, either the secretary of state's website or easier just to your county website your county recorder's office and say and and type in you know where's a early polling place you can go there Exercise your vote. Be a part of the process, not a part of the problem. Our thanks to the dean of the School of Public Policy, Pete Peterson, from Pepperdine University, for being with us. Uh, Pete mentioned the website. I'll repeat it again. If you missed it, say, gee, what's going on? And I want to know about some of the other races, uh, not only elsewhere across the state, but across the country. RealClearPolitics.com, a great place to check that out. Again, RealClearPolitics.com. If you're listening say, what did he say? I, I want what, what exactly did Pete recommend on this? Go back and you can listen to the podcast tonight, kfax.com. Click on the uh, highly airbrushed photograph of me, and you'll uh, you'll take it right to your uh, the podcast for today's broadcast date, and uh, you can download that, share it with a friend, or listen to it again. Pepperdine.edu. If you're looking for a place to learn more about the pivotal role of public policy and what it means in the 21st century, check them out on the web. Pepperdine.edu. Our thanks to Pete Peterson for carving out this time. Be with us today, Dean of the School of Public Policy at Pepperdine. University all right wow lots coming up to be thinking about isn't there let's uh, let's ease some of your concern at least traffic wise we'll do that right now Michael Bennett gets the latest for us from the KFAX traffic center Michael.